No, not really. You are a fat piece of shit. You're listening to Epic Cheat Day with your host, Derek Strong. What I'd like to have right now is for all you fat, ugly... So yeah, usually, I don't know, a puppy dog, who's a puppy? Oh, we're at, we're at Drew's house, St. James has ate a, an amazing meal. Guys, welcome to another episode of the Epic Cheat Day Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Strong, and I have with me one of the most prolific, well-known, and well-respected comedians in the Chicago comedy scene. Uh... Please welcome to the podcast, Mr. St. James Jackson. How you doing today, St. James? Man, I'm doing great, man. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be on the podcast. I'm glad to be on the cheat day. Good. Speaking is, of cheat. Is it the cheat day because I'm chocolate? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. <laughs> is, it that? is that what it was? It wasn't before we we're going to make it the epic chocolate cheat day podcast. I feel like we should have chocolate for an episode called oh, the epic chocolate cheat day podcast. That sounds amazing. Um... So St. James, you just started the way I want to talk about the way I want to label my episodes. We got a cute dog here walking around, and he is distracting. Guys, if you guys know Drew Lawrence, she has one of the cutest dogs you have ever seen in your life. And uh, so if you hear some noise in the background, that is him. Oh, and now he's just lying and hanging out. Um, so yeah, I got a bunch of my I'm listeners are that. not in the comedy scene, which is oh, a good wow. thing. Yeah. Well, I know. In that case, it's my dog or my white girlfriend's dog. Um, <laughs> Jewish okay. girlfriend's dog. Let's uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna take wow, the semantics to that point. Wow, Rigby, that's racist. Rigby, come here. That is racist. You know what isn't racist? Rigby. Rigby is not a racist dog. And uh, yeah, so we're over here. We're using Drew's equipment. We got St. James Jackson. St. James, what is the greasiest shit you've eaten all week? Why does that a burger? Would you say that's the greasiest thing you had all week? This week, yeah, it was actually pretty good this week. Oh, that's not bad at all. Okay, you know, for a young guy, um, you no, know. I normally eat trash, but the thing is I'm poor. And, God, uh, and, God you know, I know the feeling, yeah. That's I, a... I'm poor, and eating out is the thing that kills you quicker than anything else is eating out. So I just bought a bunch of groceries, so I've been doing really well this week, me and my girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, like, normally it's like Harold's Chicken. I normally eat like Harold's chicken like every night. But, that's but, that's not a good thing to eat every single night. Like of all, it's delicious though. I mean, that's the problem. Yeah, it's just it's one of the. But and because we live in a neighborhood for the guys who, who for people who aren't listening, we live in a neighborhood where Harold's chicken like is literally between where I'm at and where St. James is. So it's impossible not to smell it. Sometimes sometimes when I leave my house and I walk one block south. I'm already getting it in the nostrils. Sometimes I, when I fall asleep after um, I make love to my girl, uh, I, I have wet dreams about Harold's chicken. I don't know how it's possible. You would think it'd be out my system. Yeah. But that's what gets me going. See that? Some people fantasize about, during sex, some people fantasize about the act of sex in and of itself. St. James, you know, he fantasizes about greasy food. And I get that. I'm with that 100%. I, I, I don't even I've know done it before. greasy food. Food. I think it's something about Harold's chicken. I don't know if it's cracking the sauce or what. But they, I think they sprinkle a little crack in there. Have, I think. To. have you ever had like extra mild sauce? Yes, I, I have. Do you get mild sauce on the side or on it? I tell them this is where I go. I go, Miss. I want you to go back to, to the cook and, and look him in the eyes, and I want you to say, 
pour all the mouth sauce you have directly on my chicken, every inch of it. And then I and I like I get extra, extra, extra uh, uh, mouth sauce on my chicken. See, this is yeah. see. You guys are listening to food hacks from St. James right now. He's telling you how to oral, how to oral, how to order from Harold's Chicken. It's funny because Drew's episode is called uh, Harold's Chicken Wings. Really? Did she, did she do the same thing? Well, because I asked her what the greasiest thing she ate all week was. I was like, Drew, what's the greasiest shit you ate all week? And she said oh, Harold's Chicken. No, no, it's fine because you said burgers. So we're just going to do homemade burgers, but you did put a fried egg on it. So I'm going to put that in the title. so good. It works, right? See, some people, they're, they're leery of doing that. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. The yolk breaks, and that's just another condiment. That's another layer and another texture and well, another see, flavor. You're talking to them on a deeper level. It's like when I talk to people about 2K, or when I'm playing, like, franchise. <laughs> you ever play franchise modes? When, like, I've seen it. it. That's where you actually build the character exactly, like a role-playing exactly. game, right? And then you, like, do the GM of the thing. And people are like, why do you do that? I'm like, because I'm playing on a different level. I'm just, this is a game of chess that I have to win. <laughs> exactly. So this episode of the Epic Cheat Day podcast is unofficially brought to you once again by Harold's Chicken and NBA 2K. They're up to 2K20. Is it 22 hasn't dropped yet. It's still 21, right? Yeah, it's still 21. Okay, so yeah. 2K21. Who's on the cover for 21? That's a great question. I should know the answer. I think AD, Anthony Davis. I have no I idea think. who that is. I stopped watching basketball when the Knicks kept losing Kobe to Chicago. Too. It's definitely Kobe. Well, I was going to say, yeah, Kobe should be on it for a couple of years. Let's yeah. be honest here. Um, so, If you yeah. were sponsored by 2K and um, Harold's Chicken, you'd be doing really good in your life. I would be doing really good in my life. That's why I have to say unofficial so they don't sue me if they ever hear this shit. Because, uh, yeah, nobody sponsored me. I'm really trying to get this White Castle sponsorship. Sponsorship is overrated, man. We live in the generation where you take what you want. I mean, unless you're like a white guy at college, then you don't take what you want. Yeah, you don't, have, please don't do that. Have, yeah. I'm sorry. That's the uh, same that right. What? Is that it? Okay. <laughs> Dude, listen to any episode of my podcast. You should be like this. Oh, you should be canceled six times over. I had, I had Ty Riggs last week and Jessica Diana back to back. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so that was an impressive, oppressive, imp- oppressive. Woo, Freudian slip. An impressive double whammy of inappropriate shit. So. Jessica Diana just didn't give a fuck. And, you know, me and Ty are talking about strippers the whole entire time. So that's a brand. You like people who are on the edge. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, but listen, that's the type of comedy I do. It's the type of comedy I appreciate. Um, There's a bad way to do it, though. You know, there's a bad way to do it. Yes. So actually, you know, that brings me to a good question. St. James, how long have you been doing comedy? Uh... I mean, if you count the pandemic. Which no, I, nobody's counting that. If anybody, by the way, if anybody counts the pandemic as years for doing comedy, even if you were out there over the summer, fucking, do you need that time? Like, really, no. that's like wasted time right there. Oh, so No, uh, probably like five years. Five years. Five years. Five, when, six. When I came to Chicago, this, uh, this gentleman was part of a group. He's still a part of them called Young Hustle. Mm-hmm. Um, and Young Hustle, you guys used to do this thing. That I could see why it would piss off hosts, but I completely, completely dug the concept. You guys would come to open mics as a group, right? Mm-hmm. You guys would wait for the last person in Young Hustle to go up, and then you guys would leave. And people would get pissed off. No, people would get pissed off, but I'm like, this. why are you getting mad? They're going to another mic. They're living the hustle part of Young Hustle, mm-hmm. man. Let them live. And then the fir- I think it was in the first month that I got here. Let me talk you up a little bit. Within the first month that I got here, they had already had they had their first show at the Laugh Factory, and they sold out. Okay, mm-hmm. 
Now, we're talking about, this is 2017. Uh, this young man was only, what, two years into comedy at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody else that was part of Young Hustle, one year into Factory. comedy at the time. Mm-hmm. All right? And they were already sell- having a sellout show at Laugh Factory. It, was, it, it got, so, got so much attention that it warranted them having a monthly show. And that monthly, monthly show got almost instantly put to being on a Friday night. So they have a Friday night primetime spot mm-hmm. at Laugh Factory, a reoccurring show every single month. That is pretty goddamn impressive. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, it's all gone now. It's all gone. It's all gone. You guys can see clips of it all over YouTube. Just oh, look yeah, up Young sure. Hustle. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was fun. Um, was it? Did you ask me a question? I kind of did, but then I just segued into that to explain what happened in five years of comedy, at least that I've known of. I know that that was one of your major projects. Did you early on? Did you would you say that you had any other projects like a long? No, no, that was that was it. It was me mostly working on, working on that show. I did that for most of it. Then I, I produced a bunch of other shows on the side. But Young Hustle was my everything. So yeah, and the other one was uh, what was it? Um, I, not Chicago I, Underground Comedy. What's I the learned, uh, uh, Underground Underground Undergrad, which was a college show. College show, which they run over at the Playground Theater. Uh, but that's always a fun show. It's a it's oh, a yeah. weekly show. Bi-weekly. Oh, it was bi-weekly? Yeah. It was a bi-weekly show, and uh, you guys always get some hitters on there, so it it's, nice it's fun, you know, it's a good place for college kids to go and get drunk without getting in trouble. I mean, it was a good place for people to go and have a good time. No, that was the, that was the idea. I mean, I don't think I can get in trouble for it. They can't retroactively go put me in jail, right? <laughs> it's not yeah. like you were selling liquor either. No, it definitely so, wasn't. It was yeah, it was BYOB. So. The people came. If they brought things, we didn't check. And yeah. then we also didn't condone it. It's just whatever happened, happened. It was a comedy show. That was the idea of it. And, you know. Yeah. No. And they were always solid shows. They always had great lineups. Um, you know, it's fairly convenient to anybody who lives in Chicago doing comedy. You know, it's in one of the busier neighborhoods for comedy in this city. Are you a Chicago native? Somewhat. Somewhat, okay. Here. Okay. I was raised in the South. What part of the South? Georgia. Georgia, Georgia really? Oh, they actually, South. the South South. Okay. Because, like, you know, when you think of the South, I mean, some people, there's, I mean, where was it somebody said they were from? They were like, that's the South. Like, I, like for some reason, I don't, I don't equate Virginia with the South. And I know some people who live in Virginia is the South. I'm like, that's not South enough. You that's know? funny. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah, I was like, um. It's interesting. I was just in Texas, and uh, and that's the South for sure. The South is interesting because, see, I think of East Coast South as being like this. Like when me too. I grew up on the East me Coast, too. so I think of like you know Georgia, uh, you know Mississippi. You know uh, that's where I think of. I South. agree, and uh, it's just funny because you know I I have a preconceived idea already. I have a preconceived idea already of what I think of the South. Yeah. But then every time I go down there, I'm like, oh, man, these people are people, too, which is so fucked up to say. But that's <laughs> the problem. I had that same feeling when I moved to Philly from New York. I was just like, <laughs> I was just like this. Oh, these people don't matter. They're from Philly. I had that mentality. Well, isn't that the craziness of, like, propaganda and our news cycle and yes. social media? I was in Texas for a week having the time of my life talking to these people, get, getting to know them. And the first thing, I remember thinking this to myself, and I remember saying this, and I was like, this is so fucked up. I was like, man, these are actually human beings. I know this is fucked up. <laughs> it's weird, because, you know, I'm a, and I get the entire mentality. Yeah, and it's, you know, I'm a black guy. I'm saying this about white people. So you, what? It's, so it's, even that idea is like, it was the, whatever you think was kind of reversed, but that's just the 
That's the weird thing about never going to place yeah. and then having these preconceived notions. It's like, oh, you should get to know people and then you kind of understand the, um, the the motives better. Absolutely, 100%. Uh, like, a, a lot of my family that live in northeastern Pennsylvania, they're completely red, right-wing Republican. They're old-school Italians, you know, and they live in a very small-town kind of life, right? And, oh, that thing's going to squeak, though. I wasn't. I was trying to get it's all right. Um, but anyhow, like, yeah, it's just like when you hear the things that they're complaining about and talk about, it's just like, no, it's kind of the same shit. It's basically the same things that they're, that they're worried about and they're talking about. That, uh, I'm, a, I'm sorry. I'm going to give him this one because this is what's a, If you're hearing a little pause in this episode, it's because we are trying to get this dog to bite on something that doesn't make any noise. And uh, hopefully, you guys really need to see this dog. If you're friends with Drew, look at She definitely posts pictures of this dog. And take one look. Tell me this is the cutest damn dog you've ever seen. Um, so you grew right. up in the South. How long did you live in the South before you moved back up here? I lived in the South for about nine years. And, uh, just real quick, I'm focused. I'm just, yeah, no, know, like, I know. That's it. fine. No, okay. listen. I lived in the South for about nine years, uh, from like, uh, uh, from like, I want to say like, I want to say from like three to 13 or, or four to 13. And then I came back up here from 14 to now. And, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a nice chunk of my life down there. That is a good chunk of your life, yeah. I mean, you know, you're still a fairly young guy, oh, yeah. um, you know, which is great. I mean, considering the – and you've earned every bit of the success. If anybody ever tells you or tries to tell you that you haven't earned what you got, you – no, you did. I, I saw it. I saw it firsthand. I, it was like, guys, you don't understand. So, like, Chicago, you could get maybe three open mics in in a night. And when you first start out, like, every comic, every thirsty comic – you know, they have this mentality like, oh, I got to get up as much stage time as possible because I want to be the next whoever their big time comic is they have in their head that they want to be. They feel like the more stage time they get, they're going to do that. So I would average like two to three mics a night every single night, right? This is while I was working full time. You know, I was just like, fuck it, fuck sleep. You know, I'm pushing 40. At the time I was pushing 40, I need to get this. I, I need to get this. I need to get this. Now, St. James somehow would be at every mic that I'd been to, and I'd ask him, how many mics you've done today? He'd like, I don't know, five. I'm like, where are you finding these mics that don't even exist? And he would, like all, like all four of you guys, and when I started out, there was four of you. There was you, there was Clay Hurlbut, uh, Josh Otusanye, and um, oh, God, and Bill Petit. Yeah, William Petit. Uh, William and William Batiste and Joshua Tussanye moved to New York. They yeah. found fame and fortune over there. Mm-hmm. Um, Clay lives right down the block from me, so um, <laughs> something changes. Something, something stays, stays the same. same. Uh, what kind of projects are you working on right now? Because it's not like you've stayed. Even though you're, we're not doing comedy this year, I don't think anybody's really stayed completely, you know, immobile during this time period. So what is it that you've been doing and working on now? So, I'm working on a lot. Uh, too much, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm putting out a lot of sketches. Um, I'm putting out a lot of sketches. Uh, I have a podcast with Clay. Uh, I just came back from Texas shooting a pilot. What's uh, the name of the podcast with Clay, just so we can get people uh, listening to it? The Velvet Review. Why have uh, I not listened to this podcast? Now, I feel like a bad, terrible friend because I'm not listening to the Velvet Review podcast. You're fine. What's the podcast about? 
it was it started off as a sports podcast, but then we started talking politics, then we started talking life, and now it's just us just talking about life. Okay. This is life, just kind of what we're doing here. Yeah. Um, with a sprinkle of sports and social commentary. Um, and to your thing about the mics, well, the thing is, you know, they had a list and shit. So what I would do is I just, I, I was always strategic about it. I just knew the more time I got, the better I got. Yeah. So I just found my, I just would always go, how can I get from point A to point B and just stack them? It was a game for me. Just yeah. stack the numbers up. And it was weird because I, I feel like I was a monster at that time. I feel like I've got softer since the pandemic. Jesus Christ, no, you haven't. I mean, since the pandemic, I think we all got softer, okay, but, good, but yeah. Good, good, good. I, I feel like I'm mentally softer because that, the only thing I cared about then was just being the best at my craft. Yeah. And now I'm just like, uh, I guess I make a few sketches and I write some stuff. But so it's good though. You keep, you know, what you're keeping that part of your brain active. Which I just I don't want to. I just don't want to. I just don't want to have regrets at the end of my life. So I just want to be able to say, look back and be able to say, I did what I needed to do, and um, you know. I feel like I've done it so far, but then sometimes I'm like, am I working the hardest I can work? And that's all you try to ask yourself. You go, am I really putting myself in the best position? And um, hopefully I am, not to be on my soapbox. Well, and that's the thing. And it's, you know, definitely somebody who's, you know, doing stand-up. It's tough to it's tough to not compare, you know, because, you, you know, you see people at every single level when you go to an open mic. It's not like there's, like, a beginner's track and an intermediate. No, you will see a seasoned 11-year, 12-year veteran who's paying their bills with comedy mm-hmm. next to a guy who started two weeks ago, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, so it's really hard to gauge. And like, I think, um, I think the mentality that I think we all should have, and it's really hard to have it is of course, you know, it's like the horse with the blinders, mm-hmm. you know, you're only doing what you're doing. Like, no, even though you're performing on a stage and you're getting on the same shows as other people, nobody's doing your set. Like if I did a St. James set, people would be like, First of all, you're going to get canceled because you say the N-word too many times. But second of all, you know, it just wouldn't sour. You know what I mean? Like, I like I hate when – I don't know how I see people, like, that are able to, like, you know, like, work on material together, especially standard material because it's so personal to me. But, uh, yeah, but that's, to me, the tough thing. Well, I think it's weird because when you get around a lot of talented people, like, yeah. I know, like, Nick, me and Nick – have completely different sets tone wise. He's Nick Ogle, by the way, you guys yeah. should look him up. He's part. Yeah. He's one of the. He's one of the two guys that came in later on when Josh and Bill mm-hmm. left. Left. So exactly. it was Nick, Nick Nicholas Ogle. If you guys are gonna look him up, and Skylar Higley. What? Yeah, Skylar. I I, I want to have him on this fucking podcast so much. I love Skylar. You know, he's an amazing guy. Yeah, and they're both talented, and and they're both. We all are. We all kind of have a weird. Well, we're just all different comedians with similar humors. Yeah. Sense of humor. And I know there's been plenty of times that, like, I'll do a joke and vice versa with Nick, and I'll come off stage and Nick would throw me a tag, and it, it was amazing. It worked perfectly. Like, like, yeah. he, like, he was in my head, and he just got the keys I didn't have. But I think the good thing about talented people when you're around them is they can see where you're going. Because the thing I try to do when I work on a project with somebody is I always go, and I'm weird because – I'm not. I'm not ever a yes man, but I am a guy who's. I'm never going to shit on your project unless yeah. it's really bad. Then you know I'm not gonna let you fail. But if it's any hope in it, I'm always gonna be the guy that like, okay, this is where I think you're going. I'm gonna try to put you there. A lot of people might go, it's kind of good, but drop it. I'm never gonna be dropping guy. If there's something there, I'm always the guy that's like I'm just gonna push you there. I think a lot of talented people are kind of like that when they go, okay, I know where you're going. So yeah. instead of me trying to. 
put my imprint and change it. I'm just going to help you get to where you're going. See, that's and, the big difference, mm-hmm. though. And especially with you guys, you guys are actual friends. Mm-hmm. So, and you guys are spend more than enough time around each other where mm-hmm. it's like you could get into the voice of the other person. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the hardest things because I just, I just started to have like a group of friends that I'm around enough that have seen me perform mm-hmm. enough where it's just like they know where I'm going to go they with the joke. Yeah, yeah, they know my voice. So that's really the crucial part about this. And with them, like, and if you see ever see a Young Hustle show, it's one of the things I like about the lineup between you guys is that you put every single one of you, and I find this, I don't find this to be the case with a lot of, like, comedy. I wouldn't even call them troops, but comedy groups that you see forming in the scene that work together a lot. With you guys, if you put you guys back-to-back in a lineup, you're still going to have a good show that everybody sounds different enough from each other, where it's not just the same That's guys. a great point. I agree. Um, and, and I just think that's because we're all, like, weirdly enough, different individuals. We're like... <laughs> yeah, crazy thing. Four different people are well, different people. No, I'm just kidding. I just mean in the sense of... I, I, yeah, that, I worded that poorly, but I just mean in the sense of, like you said, usually when it's a comedy group or any type of group, you're spending so much time with a person you slowly just, you know, it's just human nature. You you slowly just become them in some way, some way and you yeah. get that sense of humor. The weird thing about us, especially the second group compared to the first group, because the first group before we was a little bit closer in the sense that we were just together a little bit yeah. more. But the second group, Skylar, Nick, me, and Clay, we was close, but at the same time, we was always working on a different project. Absolutely. Skylar yeah. was writing for something. Nick was writing for something. I was shooting something. Uh, Clay was working on something. We was always different. So when we came together, it was almost like fresh fresh thoughts coming together. Instead of, instead of we was together for a week straight, and then we're doing a show. Like you said, then we get on stage, and we're saying the same thing because we lived the same thing. Yeah. I think we all had different lives and came together. Absolutely. And, you know, it's I, I, one thing that's really incredible about this, the both the current and the past group is just the level of success that you guys have gotten to in a short period of time. Like you just said, you came back from Texas. What did you shoot in Texas? Well, I don't know if I could say. OK, it, it's kind of a big deal. Can I can I at least go so far as to say that? Yes, yeah, definitely a big deal for me. Uh, it would be a big. Uh, he's being humble. If if you guys uh, knew about this shit, it would be a fucking. You'd be like this. Oh shit! Really? Well, so yeah. I, well, I do want to be humble because there's still a lot of other stuff that has to go right for it to for it to hit the air. But it's just the first major step is is done. It's done, and that's the only thing you can ask for. You know, one step at a time. And you know, I made the first step. And I didn't make this first step. I helped somebody make the first step, and then hopefully it keeps going from there. See, and that's and that's really what it's about. It's just you know, don't stay stagnant for too long. I don't think. No, you can't. You can't. That's can't. the problem. It's and it's easy to do in this industry. It is, it's dude. Easy. I've taken three six-month-long breaks, and I feel like I'm so far behind where I should be right now. Um, that when it comes back, it's like that gives me more motivation yeah, to do it. But like, but, yeah. And that's the weird thing about this pandemic. I've been telling a lot of yeah. people. Is when they come back, it's a reset button. Yeah. The first few months into the maybe in the first year, who knows how long last, it's 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 whosoever it's whoever wants it. Yeah. That's who's gonna take it. So I'm excited to see. I this is how I've taken took, it. A lot of people ask me for last year how I've been doing comedy, and I've done a little comedy, but I've yeah. been focused on it because my mindset is when this shit opens back up. Like I said, it's go time. I ain't done comedy in a year. The thing I love more than anything on this planet. When I, when I can do it again and not have to worry about, you know, 
making somebody sick and somebody making me sick, that's the only thing I'm do- that's the only thing I'm doing for a while. I'm putting yeah. my head down and I'm not looking up. Yeah, and I and by the way, great mentality. I have a great mentality for people here, and I think you're right. I, there's not a single person I've talked to who's been doing comedy for at least at least a year that they don't fully understand what's what's happening when things open back up. I mean, because there's eight. What, you know, what really messed me up is a lot of people that I saw who are doing comedy during the pandemic that started during the pandemic. That blew my fucking mind. I was like, are fuck. Like you, you waited this long. You could wait a little longer. Like I, I, you know, and I get it. I get the whole like, oh, we're hungry. We want this now. But it's like you're not. The moves you're making during the pandemic aren't really. They're not sustainable moves. Okay, stage time is still stage time. It's good that you're getting out there. It's good that you're getting your little comedy dick wet. But uh, you know, it's, it's not. I don't know. It's just the, the, any gains that you have community-wise, or any real gains that you have, because you're gonna have to you're gonna have to kick off the rust anyhow when this exactly. shit comes back. And even if you've been doing Zoom comedy, a lot of how do you feel about Zoom comedy? I haven't done a, I haven't done a lot of it. The times I've done it, it's been fine, but I don't want to do it. Yeah. But the times I've done it, it's been fine. And you know, and I I think that because I'm one of the people that I see. You know, I, I look at it, I, I see the positive for it, but I also see it as a separate thing from stand-up. I think people, what people are doing on Zoom is just, it's, it's just a different medium. I think it will last in some way, shape, form, fashion when the pandemic's done. It's definitely not going to be as prolific as it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, when this comes back, the, you know, back to the original point, it is a reset. Mm-hmm. It is. And for everything. And that's not even a bad thing. I no. think I, I look at it as an opportunity, which I... I look at it as an opportunity because I think that's the only way you can look at it. Because if you go, and I'm, here's the thing, I had the mental breakdown, to be honest with you. I'm not going to lie yeah. to you. The first few months I took it, I was like, you know, it's fine. I need a break anyway. And then, like, three, four months into it, I was like, man, my career was going so well. How is this even fair? Yeah. I was like, I, I thought I made all the right moves. I thought I made all the right choices. And I was in a position where I thought I was going to make the next step. And then everything just was gone. But then I had to go, one, this is life. Unfortunately, life is not fair. Yeah. And you're still alive, and and everybody has to go through this. So how do you make this the best for you? And that's Absolutely. all you can do. And that's how you got to take it. You just got to go, you know, this sucks, but this sucks for most people. Outside yeah. of maybe Jeff Bezos. Outside of him and a few other people, this exactly. sucks yeah, for a lot of people. If you have a 35-room mansion, you know what I mean? And your life hasn't really been affected all that much. You know, he's getting Amazon delivering all of his food to him anyway, so. Yeah, but yeah. outside of him, it's been hard. So you just got to go, okay, you got to take this as a positive, and this is a reset for everybody, yeah. which means if you was one of the people who were going to make it, whatever make it means to you, then you still have the opportunity because yeah. it's a reset for everybody. Exactly, exactly. And that, and you're right, there is a, there is a positive to it because, you know, it's – you know, separating the, it's the old adage of separating the shaft from the weed. It's like, all right, so who was really about this beforehand and who's really going to be about it now? Mm-hmm. You know, because there's going to be a lot of people that we're not going to see back, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a fact. There's going to be a lot of people who their whole dynamic, you know, their whole persona is probably going to change a little bit mm-hmm. to a certain degree. Um, you know, so, and you're right. It's a, it's a, you know, it's, I think if you went, you know, you especially, I, I, I have no worry about because it it's just like, okay, so it's like, it was, you didn't get reset. It's a pause, you know? And even in that pause, you've been working, you've been doing stuff. So it's not. Yeah, I, I try to keep myself moving, but I think, well, I think you're being kind. 
I think uh, I think it definitely was a it was a slap in the face for sure. But yeah, that's not bad. You know, sometimes you need to be slapped in the face. You know. Yeah, and I know a little bit about uh, some of the things that were uh, quote unquote taken from you, but I think you know, you know, I mean, spiritually for me, you know, and I you know I hate to browbeat anybody with any of my spiritual ideology, but you know, it's like it's you know, energy and motion creates energy and motion. So if you you know, if you let that take you down, then you, then did you really want it in the first place? You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, and you, like, I could absolutely, just with the little bit that I know that that got taken from you when the pandemic happened, I'm like, okay, yeah, that would fucking, because I, I, I don't think there's a comedian that I knew that wasn't looking at the next rung on their personal ladder. And, like, because for me, like, I've mentioned it before on here, like, I saw a next step for me that I really wanted to do that got taken from me. And I'm just like, fuck, now, now this happens, you know? And I think that I've yet to find somebody who didn't have a similar experience. Yours was, whoo! And the fact that you're this positive about it is really, 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 really inspiring. I mean, guys, and one of the reasons why I wanted to make sure I wanted to have at least one uh, Young Hustle member on here is just with, if you put the work in, you know, and this is with anything, but if you really put the work in, you dedicate yourself to it, you know, you understand the mechanics of it. It's like talent is very, very important. I mean, you listen to this guy. Listen to his stand-up. Go ahead. Check out St. James. St. James, where can they listen to your stand-up right now? I mean. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, most YouTube, uh, Instagram, probably TikTok. Uh, I think those would be the – YouTube would probably be the best place for sure. Like, I personally can't, I know everybody's had bad sets. I personally can't tell one. I'm not trying to suck. I've been sucking your dick this You're entire episode, but so listen. So kind. Don't I am, say that. You've <laughs> seen me bomb so many times. Don't listen, lie. listen. But you're bombing at, like, my mic, okay? Everybody bombs at my mic. I bomb at my mic. It's my fucking mic. I bomb at it. You know, I just, man, it's. Yeah, open mics don't count, okay? Open mics don't count. Talk about shows when the game is on and there's money in your pocket coming your way. I've never seen this man have anything close to approaching a bad set. So uh, you're being nice. Uh, yeah, I don't think anybody can say that though. But uh, <laughs> that's I think a, some people who've seen me have, uh, you know. But you know, I just try my best, and that's all you can do. I, yeah, I go up there. My, I think my. Do you have job, fun doing it. That's the important that's part to me. You can do. Have yeah. Fun. And then also try your hardest to make sure that I have fun. But one thing I learned from comedy, I was finally getting to this point that made me sad too. Because I found like I was at a place where I didn't need to always tell jokes either. It's because you start to learn. It's like that Dave Chappelle quote. And I think he was quoting somebody else. Anybody can be funny. Yeah. Can you be, can you be, uh, it, was it interesting or was it be, be memorable? It's one of them too. But yeah, my point being is I'm just trying to be interesting. I'm trying to be thought provoking. I'm trying to be funny. Yeah. I'm trying to be nuanced. And then also I'm trying to say some things that make you want to come back. And sometimes I always try to be the funniest I can be, but then I know I don't need to always be funny to get you. I yeah. Sometimes I just need to say some things to catch you off guard. Totally. Sometimes I need to say some things to hit you in the heart. Sometimes I need to say some things that you go, God damn, this nigga's a weirdo. But that's what <laughs> makes you want to come back because you don't expect that. At least of that's what I go for. Yeah, and especially during longer form sets, you got enough room to play around with that. I mean – you know, you, you go from being an open mic or with a four-minute set, you start doing some of these lower-level lower, lower level shows, you start getting 10 minutes, you can feel the way around a bit more. I remember uh, Skyler, one of the last Young Hustle shows I went to see, um, he had a – I think he was – I think you guys had him closing out the show, mm-hmm. or close to. I don't think – because I think something happened with that, whoever he had headlining. But Skyler had a closer that was 
I would say a minute to 90 seconds long. You know what's closer I'm talking about, right? I'm like, that's the most creative. And it's like, it didn't. Oh, yeah. Here's the thing. It didn't hit. And I think it was just the reason it hit. It hit. It definitely hit. But I think it should hit harder. I think the right reason why it's because it's it's so complex and so subtle at the same time. I'm really not doing it justice. It's amazing. No, it's a great job. And it did, I remember the night. It didn't. The audience didn't give it what it deserved. But yeah. It was a late night. And Skyler's such a deep, complex guy. Yeah. You know, one of them jokes where, like, they was just too drunk yeah. to appreciate the, his greatness. But that's kind and of... And you the, gotta... It's one of those jokes you have to follow from beginning mm. to end to really get the nuance of mm -hmm. it. It's just, you know... But it's that killer, though. It's that killer. It's that good. But that's what he's talking about, guys. He's, uh... Again, because, you know, thank God it's not all comics listening to this. It's, you know, it's... Who's your audience? You gotta what? So, like, my audience are just, you know, people I've known and grown up with. Like, I got, uh, I, I, I don't know how I got this. I have somebody listening to my podcast. It's not like I have a big audience, but for some reason, like, there's, like, two people in France who listen to me. Like, swag. I don't remember anybody in France. I got a few people in Philly that listen, a few people in New York swag, that listen, swag. so... You know, I mean, at least hopefully for my guests, this gives them a bit of exposure outside of the bubble that I'm we're in. You don't even got to call me a guest. We're just two friends having a yeah. conversation until Mike that's recorded that some other people might listen to. So, I, you know, I'm slightly curating myself. But I don't, <laughs> this is just I how I would talk to you regardless. That's true. I mean, we have like, had conversations like this before. So this is not anything outside of the norm for uh, St. James Derek Strong conversation. I, this is how I know I'm getting old and bigger. I just uh, moved. I moved six inches, shifted my body weight, and I ran out of breath. How does that happen? Yeah. <laughs> how does that happen, St. James? Uh, that's Jesus. life. That's life. You, uh, what did you tell me the other day? I said, um, I, I looked at you, and I was like, this is kind of weird. It's a little disgusting. It's not that disgusting. I was like, you ever get dick cramps? And he's like, I get cramps everywhere. I'm like, I'm, he's like, I'm like, I'm sorry. He's like, do you apologize for me being old? I'm like, kind of. <laughs> and uh, but no, that's to be. That's also the weird thing about this pandemic. It took it took the weirdest age for me because it took 24. Yeah. And then like when society's gonna come back, I'm gonna be 25, and that's just like 25 is like the mid, like. One of the things You're also, a man at 25. Yeah. Like, let's be honest, 21 is not the age of adulthood. No, no not even slightly. Yeah. And the one thing I had until the pandemic came, it was like, I was 23. I was looking at 25 because I'm such a weirdo and yeah. insecure. I'm not insecure, but, you know. I, I always look at, yeah. I've been, right now I say I'm 43, but I don't turn 43 until June. Yeah, exactly. But I say that, like, as soon as December hits, you I'm like, I'm, I'm a year up. Yeah. Yep, yep. So. I'm the same way, so I was like, I'm at 23, looking at 25. I'm like, I'm gonna skip two years. That way, mentally, I'm already working like I'm 25. So when I get to 25, maybe I've done the things I need to do. That's a I good think, life hack, you guys. Oh, Take this, note of that. I think shit. it's the only life hack you can have because you know time is precious. So one way, one of the ways, at least now, that I go, I don't, I, I the things I do to help me not lose is I just, I take it away from myself already. So I've been 25 for the last six months. And I'm like trying to work like I'm 25 because 25 is a big number, you know. It is. It is a big number. Yeah, listen, I've been 25 before. I would say, like for me, my birth, like the last birthday that really mattered, like 40 didn't really matter to me. The last birthday that like where I was just like, oh shit, was 35. 35 for me. That's when I and it wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna get my ass in gear. Like, no, <laughs> fuck that. It's at the same level of the same level of whatever I was doing. But I was just like. 
oh, okay, I'm now, uh, this is, I'm at mayonnaise now. And what did I do? I decided to go to Philly and spend all my money on strip clubs. So that's what, uh, that's, I needed to, I needed to get middle age, my midlife crisis out of the way then, you know? No, I'm trying to get my midlife crisis right now, bro. Yeah, man. You know, you want money. Well, I'm trying to do it in a way where I don't have to regret it. Exactly. That's what a midlife crisis is. It's all the regrets of all the shit you never did. And you're, if you're, if you've already lived the life of most of the guys that are, you know, except maybe you don't have the Porsche. Okay. But they, cause they all buy Porsches or whatever. Tesla's, I don't know what the fucking next generation of, you get what I'm saying? It's like, they get that. I will say this though. The last few women that I've dated all been in their twenties. So, you know, I mean, it's not bad. Look it's not that. Swinging dick, Mr. Listen, uh, listen. I, I'll say this: my forties will be good to me when it comes out. What happened? What's the Jewish word for dick? What a sh- uh, I, I want to say a schmeckle. Schmeckle. Uh, schmeckle. Schmeckle. Let's look this up. Yeah. Swinging schmeckle. Uh, what's the other one? There's a few of them. I'm, I know there's one big one that I'm not thinking. A big oh. one. Ah, there it is. <laughs> There's one. There's because Yiddish is schmeckle. I I, I sometimes I'm wrong. What the I fuck is Jew? Call, call, I'm not asking my girlfriend what's a Jew. What's Jew? I'm gonna put Jewish for dick, and we're gonna look this up. We're looking up on Google. We're doing real research on the Epic Cheat Day podcast. Why don't you hit me up? Epic Cheat Day podcast at Gmail, Facebook, Instagram. I'm not like you guys are just tuning in out. By the way, I treat this like a radio show, where I'm like this. You're sitting here with. I'm Derek Strong. You're sitting here with St. James Ass. It's like they fucking know they downloaded the episode. Well, do you ever think about do you ever think about cutting it up? Because if you cut it up, you can't treat it like an episode. It's true. Put it out at different points. Maybe you can put two, one episode into two parts. I don't know. It's an idea. Food well, for thought. That's kind of how I'm going to be doing with because uh, I had uh, Jamal Gushan on, and he and I had a real tense episode because he, he um, I pissed him off, so we were just talking it out, and it led to like a really deep conversation. So we ended up going an hour. Um, so I want to have him on at a later point to do a second one. We should have probably just talked for like two hours and then split it up. But, uh, yeah, I just, I, now I need to know which is the word that I'm thinking of Jewish for dick. How am I not thinking of this? I'm the worst Jew ever. I was telling somebody about this, like, cause I wasn't, I like, I grew up in Jewish neighborhood, but like we celebrated Christmas cause my dad's Catholic. Right. So we celebrated Christmas. You know, I went to other people's houses for, um, for Hanukkah. Have you done like a full like Jewish Hanukkah or Passover yet? You haven't nope. done Passover yet? Wow. Nope. Wow. You're uh, let me just say Passover, some of the best food that you could eat if it's done right. One of the longest fucking ceremonies that you have ever contended well, religious or Derek, I went to black church, so <laughs> I was gonna say I'm, I was just gonna say, I was like, what church did you go to? Because depending which I, church are you part of? Which uh as a apostolic. Methodist, I believe. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So his name is, and when, like some people have stage names. That's something else I want to qualify too, because nobody in the scene really thinks about this. But your name on your birth certificate, driver's license, your government name is Saint James Jackson. That's how religious his family was. They were wow. like, no, no, not just James. We're not going to give him the name of the saint, but let's just make sure that people know right. why we're naming him James. Yep. So yep. he's Saint James Jackson. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, well, did you grow up? I mean, you clearly grew up religious, but how often were you, like, because different different fa- religious families are, like, they consider, like, uh, like with Jews, for instance, like, they'll go to shul, and then they'll do, uh, they'll do uh, whatchamacallit, um, 
Wow. Friday night, uh, they'll do, uh, God, I can't remember anything about my own people. Friday night, they do the thing where they turn off the electricity into Saturday. And then. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. So that's supposed to be the Jewish day of rest or whatever. And it's like, and that's one of the reasons why Jesus had a fall with the Jew, falling out with the Jews. Because it was just like this. Yeah, God doesn't rest. Why are you? So. That's funny. Oh, uh, yeah. I went, uh, when I came back to Chicago and I was living with my grandma, she was like really, um, really religious. Uh, she was a very spiritual lady. So I was going to church like three, four times a week, easily Tuesday, Friday, Sunday, and then sometimes a different, a different point, Tuesday, Friday, all of Sunday, and then every now and then sometimes a different point. So I was in church for like most of my childhood, at least especially thirteen and up, fourteen and up, uh, and then uh, eighteen, nineteen. I still, I still went a lot, but um, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, maybe twenty-one. I still went a lot. Around twenty-two. 21, 22 is when I started to slow down a little bit. Well, I remember, like, I would I would be at an open mic with you, and you're like this, oh, I'm going home now. Why? Because I have church tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember that being, like, a regular thing with oh, you. Well, so I didn't know how often you went. We've known each other for a while, because that's definitely not, definitely wasn't my, yeah, that's that's when you met me a few years ago. Yeah. And uh, and that's when I think I was living with my grandma, too. So, you know, I had to be respectful, get back. Makes a lot of sense, know. yeah. And also, church was so long and so early that, you know, you needed to get to sleep. So how many hours were you in there for? How many hours were you in there for? It depends. Sometimes I was in there from, like, 10. It really depends because every time I was putting up, like, 10 to 5 numbers. Like, work time. Yeah, exactly. That's a day of work. Like, one, two hours of break, and then but keep going. And then sometimes we do, like, 11 to 3, 11 to 2. That's still but so long. ten to three, ten to two. I I couldn't. I my hats off to. I couldn't do Catholic Church, for example, because they. I don't know what it is, but every priest I've ever heard, they speak in monotone. So he would, he would just go up there, say some shit in Latin, and be like, forever and ever. I'm like, oh my god, like the service right now. Yeah, so I couldn't. But that's the only good thing about Black Church. Is the services we be, be banging. Yeah. But they be so long, you like they gotta be banging. Because if you was to talk to me in monotone for four hours, I'm 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 leaving. Yeah. Yeah. The church, the service be banging. You hear? And I, I remember I brought Clay one time. That had to have been great. Oh, oh it was man. amazing. And he heard my family sing and stuff. He like, oh my gosh, your family's just full of Whitney Houston's that just decided to stay in the church instead of going to like. But that's the beauty of like if you go to most like just any church on the west or south side, you'll see all these. I mean, you're talking about pure talented. Yeah. You can see all these people with nothing but talent. And the only thing is, they just didn't, they decided not to go to showbiz. They let, they just used it for God. But I'm seeing, like, I have un- I have aunties and uncles who, like, play the guitar, play the drums, play the piano, can sing, can do all that at the same time. But that was all from through going to the church and, like, learning through that. Yeah, right? That makes got, a lot of I got, sense. I got, I got uncles who can, like, play you back whole songs. Really? On, like, the piano. And they can't read music. They didn't, they didn't that's know. how they learn how to do it. They yeah, know it by ear. Which I, from a guy who can't read music, that's way harder. Yeah, read music is a cheat code, especially once you get good at it because you're reading. But I have uncles who can listen, play it, and just play it right back perfectly it. too, right? Yep. Yep. Hit key, lead the choir. So I feel like a schmuck because the Jewish name for penis is schmuck. A schmeckle is a small penis. So I, how did I not know this? I've called people schmucks my entire life. I've been called a schmuck my entire life, mm. and I forgot. I and I, 
schmuck. You got to You got to It's it's schmuck. with the schmuck. Yeah, schmuck. there it is. Schmuck. You got you got the schmeckle. Schmeckle. Schmeckle me his little dick. So, yeah. Uh, I want to know what huge is. I'm not even gonna look that up. I want to know what huge is. I'm gonna change my open mic to that. Yeah, we changed it. That, we changed locations though. I love my open mic. That's one I of like my. I, can I be honest with you? Now we've been no, talking for a little bit. Don't be honest at all. So like one of the thing, one of the fears I had. This is gonna sound completely fucked up because you're gonna be like this. Wow, that's not how that works. Um, but like all the shows that I'm used to going for. Like, or that I was going for, especially the last two years of doing it, because I was, what, three and a half years in. But like I said, I took, like, 18 months off. And part of the reason for that and part of the reason for the show was because, like, I didn't – I found a certain comfort being an open mic comic. You know, so all the shows I, like, got on or went for were, like, lower-tiered shows. And not lower-tiered. There's still shows, and you still take stay time. Because, like, I always felt – and you could tell me I'm wrong because you've been at the higher threshold. You've been at the higher level than me for a while. Um, but I always, I always got nervous about the whole competitive. It seemed at the time to at least be somewhat of a competitive nature mm-hmm. with doing shows. I'm like, that's kind of fucking with the purity of what it is we're trying to do, right? Yeah. I mean, if people are competing for shows, and what the, I mean, there's enough shows to go around. I always felt like there was enough shows to go around. There's enough stage time to go around. Like, why are people caring about who gets what? You know, well, well, I know it's human yeah, nature, but uh, it's weird. I don't know because. Um, that's definitely the case. I don't. The problem is, if we're being honest, and we can be honest because it's no comedy right yeah. now, is the reason why people felt that way is because it wasn't a hierarchy the way it should have been. Some of the best comedians didn't get booked as much as they should, and it was a lot of comedians who had these qualifications who got booked more than they should. Yeah. And I mean, and that's true of every entertainment medium, let's be honest. Of every oh, art, yeah, that's, that's every art medium is, yeah. The show business is. As, as a whole, so the problem is, but that t- I'm trying to yeah. answer your question. That's why people are sold in the Fifi's because you can technically be at, you can work at a craft for a long time. And and if you're just behind a guy who looks the same as you and who is better than you, even though you're better than everybody else, yeah. if he has that slot, he has that slot. And uh, that's just the nature of our business. And I don't know how we would change it, but that that's kind of what it is. I mean, I don't think there's any real way to change it. I mean, I think it is just kind of how it is. I think uh, there's a group out here called the Comedians You Should Know. They run they pro- they run one of the more important shows in the city, um, and you know they started their their whole concept and their whole philosophy. And I could be fucking this all up. Anybody who's part of CYSK hit me up if I am fucking this up. But my understanding when I talked to Danny Callis about this years ago, he's one of the founding members of it. Was like he, you know, the, it was started off the fact that people weren't getting shows at a lot of the typical locations. So they're like, you know, fuck it, we're gonna do our own thing at this bar, and exactly. it ended up being being there. That's how Young Hustles kind of started. Yeah, pretty much started. We was like, I wanted to run a show. We was like, we wasn't getting booked the way we thought we should. Yeah, and I was like, why can't we do this ourselves and do it better? And that's what we did. We ran a show and. Because we're all like people who like to do do things at a high level, we try to make it the best show possible, and it grew into what it did. But like you said, it came from us not getting booked as much as we thought, or as much as we liked. So we like we did it ourselves. Which yeah. I think now that's kind of just what show business is. It, as a, I think that's what a lot of entertainers are doing. Yeah. But that's what we were doing a few years ago, at least stand up wise, before a lot of people even thought about it. 
Exactly, and which again, kudos to them. I mean, and that's something that a lot of people don't understand too. If you're a performer, you're listening to this, and you're wondering why you didn't get booked, it's not, people take it more, per obviously, because it feels like rejection, it's more people take it personal like that, and it's not necessarily more personal. It's, you have to understand the Chicago comedy scene at any given time has between five to 700 active comics, okay? At varying levels, okay? So while there is plenty of like space for shows, if I'm a booker for a show, it's you're gonna have to stand out to me in some way shape form or fashion so how are you gonna do that plus there's other things you have to consider like young hustle they're at laugh factory they can't just book whoever they want they have to clear that with the booker at laugh factory like oh can we have this person can we have this person so even if they really want it's their show they're they're promoting it they're pushing it but they're using the laugh factory stage you know ultimately you still have to go through them and correct me if i'm wrong but I mean, there's exactly, all these other exactly elements right. to it that people don't understand. It's you not just, mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of people who have like the bar shows and who, you know, they only want to book their friends. I mean, that's good. And you guys are, you know, by all means do that because everybody's getting more stage time is getting more stage time, getting exposed to at least more human beings listening. I call I call comics and human beings two different things. There's comics right. and there's human beings. Yeah, it's just. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, going to perform in front of comics is such a different. What's your experience been with that? Because everybody laughs. You know, comedians. No, I mean, if you're talking about an open mic, they're awful. They're I, mean, <laughs> you know I like it. He put he put no he no, put no peanut awful. butter on the pill for the dog. He's just no. This is right there for you. Yeah, they're pretty bad. I mean, but there's, that's the open mic for you. But the thing is, not to not scare people away who want to do comedy. All open mics aren't just full with comedians, but the ones that, that are, they're never really that good. Yeah, and it's tough. It's tough as a person who's run open mics, you know, and I mean, you've hosted enough open mics, oh. you know, guest hosted, uh, where it's just, I mean, that's, it's part of the struggle of it. I mean, I think it's, uh, to me, it's just, I look at my open mic, I don't even really, this is gonna sound fucked up. I don't care about the comics at the open mic. I look at it as the stage time I can maximize while I'm there. So oh, with it, exactly. You're learning. I taught you well. Bro. Oh yeah, you did teach me well. By the way, I, I didn't even mention this before, but there are things I do to this day that I learned from watching St. James. Not from every comic who does this, particularly from St. James. How I hold a mic, I learned that from St. James and ways to riff during a set to make the set productive without being so adhered to um, writing material. Matter of fact, all the material that I've, I would say that I've come up with in the past, in the last year before this happened, were things that I organically came up with in a mic. I don't, I try not to, like I, I've never been able to put a pen to paper and come up with a joke that's ever worked. I, it's never happened for me. It always has to be in the heat of the moment. I come up with it on the fly, and I learned that from watching you. So thank you for that. Thank you for showing me how I can write comedy better. I appreciate it. Um, should probably wrap this up. Is there anything you want to tell people? Anything they should know? What are your socials? Uh, Life of St. James on, um, on all sites. On all sites. So every site where there is a media to be social, he's on there. Life of St. James, which is also smart to do, by the way, which is why I do it with my fucking podcast. You know, because this way you just need to look up Life of St. James. And guess what? You're interacting with St. James. He has a fucking incredible TikTok. Check that out. I've been pushing TikTok a lot lately because I think that's like the medium du jour. But uh, yeah, check him out. Guys, thank you so much for listening to St. James. Thank you so much for being on here. I appreciate it. Take care, everybody. Mike, we're good.